Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Nick Carlisle here, and welcome back to another episode of the Life Enchanted podcast, where I tend to nerd out on all things faith, health, interesting, and optimizing. If you're not already following me on Instagram, at nick.carlisle, that is, go ahead and find me on there, hit that follow button, send me a DM perhaps. I am very active on the gram and would love to connect with you personally. This episode, as always, is brought to you by MyLifeEnchanted.com, which is where you can find all things related to the Life Enchanted movement. I have a free 30-page eating guide on there. I have some links to some of my favorite products. I have some hoodies and some shirts I designed. The Truth Pack is on there as well. So go check all of that out. Thanks again for tuning in. Now let's get into it. Our guest for this episode is the one and only Matt Baudreau. Matt is an internationally recognized keynote speaker. He is the founder of Acton Academy Placer, which is an educational model and school that we talk about quite a bit in this episode. He is the host of the Essential 11 podcast. He is the co-founder of Apogee Strong, which is an online boys school that is focused on doing some pretty incredible work for the young males in the world. He is an entrepreneur in numerous different ways, as you can tell. He is an author. He is a husband. He's a father of three, and he's just an insanely solid solid, intentional, and inspiring human being, which you'll definitely get a feel for here. In this episode, we talk parenting tactics, educational philosophy, public speaking, conquering fear, developing mindset, curating inner peace, and I really think you guys are going to enjoy this. So without further ado, Matt Baudreau. My dude, thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it. I'm pumped, man. I owe you owe you anyways, man. You came out here and spoke to our heroes last week and uh, they were they were ran and raving. I told you I came downstairs and they were quoting. You. I was bummed that I didn't just sit in on it, but they were quoting you, dude. They had a great time, so oh, I'm pumped to chat, man. I was blown away by the heroes there, dude. So just for the listeners, well, tell them about acting, man. Just tell them. Let's get right into it. Tell them about the school that you founded. Yeah, man. Um, you know, acting is is really a, a global network of trying to recreate education. I mean, from the very high level, that's really what it is. It's a group of entrepreneurs that are going, look, you know, education, schooling, I guess I should say, is, is something that we don't really think fits the current uh, reality of, of what's going on in the world. And, and um, you know, we, we think we can build something better. And so, you know, that's what we're banding together to do. And so it's this global movement of creating these, uh, these schools, man, K through 12s that, you know, the young heroes, um, get to go on a hero's journey and they take on, you know, massive responsibility on campus and, um, you know, really just set themselves up to be super aware, super driven, um, Mm. super character driven young people, you know, and, and that's really what we're doing globally, man. So it's, it's exciting. Yeah, man. I, I was blown away by the kids when I got there the other day, just, super intentional looking at Mm -hmm. me in the eye shaking my hand repeating my name back to me 
taking initiative in the conversation, asking me like very thoughtful questions, Mm -hmm. digging deep, not afraid to ask hard questions. Mm -hmm. I I was just super impressed, man. It was it was really cool to see what you guys have going on there and actually see it in action and see the fruit of it within these 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids. Totally, man. Yeah. And it's, I mean, use the word, you know, it's intentional, right? And that's what you saw was a mirror of uh, their day to day, you know? I mean, that's, that's really what it is. It's they're, they're intentional about all of this. And of course, there's, I mean, there's no, I always want to say, like, there's no panacea. There's no, this is the end all be all. And, you know, you have, I remember a parent one time coming in and listening to one of our students speak and um, she's just like, so hold on a second. You're telling me that anybody that comes through here, like you just come out like this young person. I said, well, no, man, it's, it's a lot more into it, right? You can, you can have the best gym in town with all the best equipment and the best trainers. But if you don't go to the gym to actually utilize any of that, you don't get in shape, right? It's the same mm-hmm. thing. So like it comes down to these heroes wanting to, you know, push themselves for, they want to be intentional. They want to grow. They want to set themselves apart and, and they want to do that within the context of a community of other heroes that want that for them too, you know, and using that as a resource. So, um, but they are, they're an intentional group. They're an amazing group of young people. Yeah. Talk to us about the hero's journey, man, and how, how it translates into that type of education. I mean, that's, that is our incessant focus, right? Is that whole concept of, you know, Joseph Campbell's work. And if nobody knows, you know, Joseph Campbell, I highly recommend checking out, you know, kind of his 12 steps to the hero's journey. But the way I explain it to most people, it's, it's the archetype of any good story, any good movie, right? Is, is that hero's journey archetype? You see it in Star Wars, you see it in Lord of the Rings, you see it in the matrix. And, um, it's what creates a good story because there's, you know, this, this understanding that there's something greater out there. Right. And then it's this, and and then, you know, you're kind of like, okay, I I don't know if I want to really push myself towards that, but you kind of can't help it. And you, you know, you start going for it and you meet a mentor along the way who kind of pushes you, but then there's all the turmoil and there's all the trouble and there's all the struggle and, and there's all of that, um, you know, having to slay that dragon, man. And then you come out the other side and you're this new creation who can then back go, you know, go back into society and, and, bring, you know, your newfound strength and understanding and and help other people along the way. And then the cycle kind of starts over, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and, and it's this continuous, that's what growth looks like for, for humanity, you know, and, and right. Like that's it. And whether you, you know, again, like you and I, you know, look at this as, as the design of humanity and other people may look at it as the evolution of humanity. However you want to look at it, you can't deny this is what, you know, this is what it looks like. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, we're just very intentional about putting that into motion, right? We, we're guides. The adults here are guides. We're mentors. We're not teachers. We're not lecturing them. We're guides. We're these mentors. We're challenging them. We're putting these things, you know, in front of them where they're going to fail sometimes and, and they're going to fail publicly, mm. but they're going to do it in a manner that is in a safe spike. You can fail at 16 and go, Oh, I didn't, you know, that didn't work out well. And it was a little bit embarrassing and, but it didn't work out well because I didn't put my best or whatever that is. You can have a real experience before getting out and doing that as an adult. When all of a sudden there's, you know, a wife and kids or a company that's dependent upon you. And now you're learning that lesson and it's really dire straits, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, we're putting those challenges in front of a man and they're overcoming it. And then we put more and, you know, and, and it just creates a vastly different 
uh, mindset. You know, yeah. it's a vastly different human. And so, you know, the kids that come out uh, from us, they're just they're just ahead of the game. They're just ahead of the game in comparison to their peers and to to really a lot of adults now. You know, really are so. Hundred percent. Talk to us about the word teenager, man. <laughs> I hate that word. Um, <laughs> that's a great question, man. I, I absolutely hate it. Uh, the, you know, uh, <laughs> the cons, the concept of, of that word, man, that, that, you know, most people don't realize that wasn't even a word. It wasn't even a word in our culture until the fort like 1940s. So we're operating on, you know, less than really less than 80 years of even using that word at all. Uh, because it used to be you were a child, then you started taking on responsibilities and you took on those responsibilities pretty early, by the way. And then as you grew up and you started taking on more and more really serious responsibilities, you're an adult. That was the transition. <laughs> you went responsible child to res really responsible adult. There wasn't this whole concept of going now, now we understand look the brain's not fully developed and all like I get that and I get that we've gotten that that science and that's great for some understanding but it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you take off of years of your life from you know eight years old till you're 25 until something's fully developed that's garbage we haven't um, progressed in such a manner where that's the reality. The reality is people can still take it on. So teenager wasn't even a term that was used and we've used it now culturally to say, Hey, we're going to give you a break on your responsibilities. And mm. it's been to everybody's detriment, man, because now we have these delayed adults who knew, well, okay, as long as I don't think I'm an adult, then I don't have to act like one. And so the correlating response is I don't take on that responsibility either. And I'm 30 years old and I spend most of my time playing video games and mm -hmm. I still live at home with mom and dad and mom and dad still pay for all my stuff, right? Like that's, that's not supposed to be that way, but culturally we perpetuated that and that whole teenager term is a big part of it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I feel like it's just this delaying the inevitable of suffering and struggling. And I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it with some of my friends that mm -hmm. we we were sucked into this teenager trap and we didn't have a ton of responsibility and we were kind of just doing what society was telling us to do, you know, be social, be with friends, play sports, be successful in sports, play video games, you know, right. do your thing, go to college because that's what you're supposed to do. And right. then after college, I found myself in this dilemma of being smacked in the face with the real world, but not being trained for it and not being well prepared for it. I hadn't had any struggle or suffering or failure. Right. So I had to begin that hero's journey at age 23. And I'm still on that hero's journey. Mm -hmm. I think we all still are. But I love I was talking to my dad about this yesterday, when we were talking about acting and how basically what you're doing is forcing that stage of life into these young teenagers right. so that they have to experience it in a safe place so by the time they are bingo. done and graduated they're they're ready to rock bingo man that's it and we're you know it's that it was very that's very well put because you're exactly right and look and i'm not i'm not you know, saying don't, don't ever enjoy your time as a teen, yeah. you know, that teen don't ever don't, you know, never touch video games. Like, man, that's fine. But understand the very limited, those are, those are, you know, that's an escape. Video games are an escape. Like that's great, but be intentional about it. You know, mm -hmm. if you need a little bit of an escape, um, and it's a hobby you do with your friends, great, but be super, you know, don't get sucked into I'm playing eight hours a day and I'm playing all night and I'm losing out on sleep and right. And you start to prioritize that over anything else. And that's where it starts to become 
a danger, you know? And, and so these young people, um, you know, again, they're, they're actually learning to build, uh, self-confidence because they're taking on all this stuff too. Like that's a big part of it, right? It's your mm. self-confidence. It's not fake self-confidence. It's real self-confidence from actually overcoming challenges. You don't get confident without going through something hard, mm. right? And so when you don't get to, you don't get to challenge yourself all growing up, not only do you not develop true self-confidence, you really have no self-awareness either because you don't know how you're going to react to something. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, you know, you have a, a, a massive percentage of the population that suffers from a lack of self-confidence and a lack of self-awareness. And again, that's to everybody's detriment. And so those are the real things that we want to build um, with these young people. I always talk about, you know, Tony Robbins is his work and, and guys like that. They're great. Um, it's fantastic. We need those guys. We need them to help these adults. But I always go like, man, if, if we just put an act on every corner, mm. we can run those guys out of business. Yeah. You know, we can, it's the whole Frederick Douglass concept of, you know, easier to build strong children than it is fixed, broken men. And, and I really, really truly mm. believe that. I you love know, it's that. that. Yeah. So what does it look like day to day for these kids? Like what, what is that model looking like in action at Acton? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, a tough thing to paint a day to day, but I, I try to give people you know, a relatively high level overview of it. Um, but it starts with, with morning meetings, you know, that's where it all starts And a morning meeting, um, is exactly what it sounds like. It's a morning meeting and that doesn't matter what studio you're in studio is the term we use for you know the mixed age groups so it doesn't matter what studio you're in if you're in with all the five-year-olds and six-year-olds or you're in with you know high school you actually start in a in a circle and everybody stands up and they look each other in the eye and they shake each other's hand and they say good morning and they go around right like you start there with that kind of good old-fashioned um, I respect you. You respect me. We're going to say good morning. We're going to go to the handshake. We're going to, you know, do all that kind of stuff. We want to ingrain that mm-hmm. in them. So, start to that meeting, and then usually heads into a launch of some sort, which just means you're launching the day. Now, that might be driven by a guide, an adult guide in there. It might be driven by the students themselves, but that launch could be anything from, um, you know, we watch a TED talk and go into a discussion around that. It might be a Socratic discussion where we're posed with, um, you know, some sort of moral dilemma and you got one side or the other, um, you know, and, and we got to talk through that and maybe setting the intentions for the day, um, and for the studio in a town hall meeting where they're coming, you know, going, Hey, this is working. This isn't, how can we fix this? Um, but they have a launch of some sort. Um, the rest of the morning usually is going into their core time and that's our, that's what we, say for their individual growth time the students learn you know to set their own individual goals and push themselves forward so you know just because nick is nine and matt is nine we're not doing the exact same thing exact same time because what if nick's really really good at this and matt's really really good at this and nick's really passionate about this and matt's really passionate about this so they learn to set their own goals and intentions based on who they are, where they want to go and where they need to grow. So they do take on, you know, academics and, and they go at whatever pace they can go that we want them to push themselves, but we don't want them to, you know, we talk about, um, you know, not, not being in the comfort zone cause you're not growing, but also mm-hmm. not being in a panic zone because you're also not going to grow, mm-hmm. right. Is how can we continuously challenge yourself? And so getting that self-awareness. So, um, individual academics as well as individual, projects um, are things they take on and those things can be interchangeable 
Um, you know, I use the example of, of my oldest daughter who hates traditional math. Like my second daughter, she's all about like Dreambox or Khan Academy for math. Like she's all about it. So she'll push herself through on that. My oldest daughter hates it. So what she does is takes on like a math-related project. She'll do something where she does a restaurant design and then has to do a cost analysis of what it would take to build out an entire restaurant uh, and then you know create a menu. What are you going to charge for that? What are you going to pay your people? Mm. Um, you know, at what point do you get to break even? She's running a PNL, right? She's running mm. all that. Cool. Like that's still math, I and mean, that's real actual stuff. So go get it. Right? Yeah. So she'd rather do that than go through Khan Academy. Great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So they're doing their individual stuff, um, you know, plenty of breaks in between for them to go out and, and hang out and do their do their thing. Um, you know, afternoons are usually geared more towards um, some, you know, some studios will incorporate some mindfulness and yoga and things like that in the afternoon just to kind of uh, be intentional about reset. And then they'll go into collaborative projects in the afternoon. So they're always taking on a giant collaborative project where they've got like five or six weeks to create an outcome. And that outcome is going to be presented in front of parents and the community. And it's, you know, a little bit high stakes. And so, and it's going to be out of a different, you know, somewhat of a different discipline. So that's where we expose them to things. Mm. So we might go from a, a NASA, we call them quests, right? The quests are the collaborative projects. So they might go from a NASA quest to the next one is a marine biology quest, to a theater quest, to a, a to an electricity quest, right? And mm. so we'll just, they're all different and there's a desired outcome, but we don't tell them how to get to the outcome. And by desired, I mean, you know, uh, electricity quest. We're like, hey, you're going to build a city and you're going to have to figure out how to bring electricity to it and have everything running uh, on a small, you know, you're going to build a small scale, scale city and everything's got to have electricity to it. Mm ready go <laughs> you know and it's <laughs> it's roughly open-ended so that we're not doing this linear fashion thinking you know we let them get creative and go okay well how do we even do this like what is this even going to look like yeah. and in the process of doing that they have to learn about electricity they've got to teach themselves about electricity because dear god they got to light up this whole fake city that they also have to build <laughs> right and so what they come out with is is amazing um you know i mean they always we we keep the bar high and they go blow past it. Um, but more importantly, are the experiences that that come out of that. That's what real learning. It's what real education looks like. It's not schooling, you know. And that's that's the difference. That's yeah. why we create different individuals. So they've got those kind of things, and then and then they also have responsibilities on and off campus. So the older you are, the more responsibility you have on campus. Whether that's you know cleaning responsibility we've got heroes that work in the kitchen with our executive chef and they've learned how to make the food so like they'll they'll cook the food cook the meals for the rest of the school that wow. day um you know they're taking on internships and apprenticeships off site they're outside you know older ones outside working on the power saws and with power drills and they're teaching the younger ones how to make a birdhouse i mean like they take on massive responsibility on campus too so um again it's all Everything is very intentional, um, and it just creates a, a completely different human being. That's so cool, man. I love it. Yep. So what are your thoughts around this college for all mentality that, that seems mm. to be prevalent right now, especially with the recent pushes to make college free and all that? How do you look at that? Uh, it's a, you know, you know, always, I like to preface it with saying uh, I was a public school teacher. I was a public school administrator 
private school teacher, private school administrator, worked at Stanford, worked with many universities around the world. Um, so I know education inside and out. I always want to, I have graduate degrees like as a student, right? So I, I know that education inside and out. I'm also very pro teacher. I'm very pro administrator. I'm pro the people. Mm -hmm. I always want people to understand that that is where I'm coming from. When I say I hate the whole, everybody's got to go to college mentality. And I think college is quite literally a bad move for 90% of the population mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. So I want people to understand where I come from when I say that, right? Like it is a, it's a game. College is a game and it's a game from the get go. Everybody thinks about aunt Becky and, and how she got caught, you know, cheating and all this kind of, that's part of the game. It's been part of the game forever. It's still part of the game. Um, there's all kinds of ways to get into college it's very, very easy to get into college. Uh, it's not this hard thing that most people think it is. Uh, and, and I'm very honest with all our families about that too. Um, but it's also a game that's not really worth playing for most people. Uh, it's, it's, I'm anti-bad investment, and it's a bad investment for mm -hmm. so many people. So much money for a return that's not what it's cracked up to be. Do you need it to get a job? No, you do not. Do you need it to you know, be quote-unquote successful? You don't. All of these things are provably false. There are some careers, obviously, where legally you have to go. Mm -hmm. But even then, think about how much time you waste. If you know without a doubt, man, pre-med, that's it. That's all I'm doing. Cool. You should be able to go and just go straight into those courses that are relevant to that. The mm -hmm. thought that you have to go in and also take geology and women's liberal studies of 1890s Britain. Like, you know, like who mm -hmm. cares, mm -hmm. dude? Who cares? Mm -hmm. And you don't care but you're paying thousands of dollars to do it because you think you have to play the game and it's mm. provably false. So yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not for that. And I try to bring people through at least a thought exercise of, can I achieve the same things I think I want to achieve at a cheaper and often, uh, more rapid pace, uh, than, than I could, you know, play in this whole silly, silly game. Yeah. So. Agreed. What are some things that parents can implement at home that you think will provide some of the same results for their children mm -hmm. um, yeah. as Acton Academy? Yeah, it's a really good. That's a really good question, man. Um, we, you know, I have our open houses here, and the open houses are info sessions for anybody that's interested in coming to Acton, right? And I want the parents, and the, the parents have to be here. The kids don't even have to be here for that initial meeting if they don't want to, but the parents need to be here because it if we're speaking one language and the parents are speaking something completely different at home, we're in trouble. We're yeah. going to lose every time and it's not going to work. Right. Like it's just not. So parents, first and foremost, they need to be leading by example. I mean, that's, that's it. Like we talk about a hero's journey and you want your child to be on this hero's journey. You want your child to overcome. You want your child to, you know, figure out who he or she is and build their own life and success. If you're not doing that, Mm. you're you're failing first and foremost like children will do what you do before they ever do what you say so if you're not doing that you're failing from the get-go so first and foremost is leading by example there right and then it's getting into more of of the practicality and and the weeds of um you know understanding that freedom and responsibility are are linked and so you have to have things around uh, the house that that do that as well if they want the freedom to do whatever around the house they want freedom to go out and have playtime or have their video game time or have their whatever that looks like cool there's got to be correlating responsibility to it like that's how you avoid that whole entitlement mentality 
Mm -hmm. right? You need to support the young person without entitling the young person. The whole helicopter parenting thing where you are the overlord of their life and your job as the overlord is to keep them completely safe and cozy and warm is crushing that young person. So you've got to give them responsibility early and let them know that all of their freedoms are on the other side of that responsibility. It's responsibility first. Mm. Um, and so, you know, one of the ways that we've done that in our household, and again, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. I'm far from it. Um, we're all going to screw some stuff up, especially with our first kids, right? Those are our therapy babies. Yep. That's what I call them. But <laughs> like, it's just, it is what it is, dude. But you can, you can, obviously get better. That's part of that growth as a parent. And one of the things that we've implemented is, uh, you know, family meetings and family rules. And so when I say family rules, you know, and I actually, it was cool, man. You shot me that text last week. You're like, Hey man, you know, you can give me something. Oh no, never mind. It was my buddy that looks just like you. Never mind. But I want to send it. That's so fun. So, <laughs> you know, awesome. dude, and I'm going to, I'm actually going to throw this out there. Do you know, Mike Marjima? I do you know not know. Okay, I dude, I got to introduce you guys because you guys are rad. You guys remind me a ton of each other and you guys actually look a ton of like too. Beautiful. Um, so yeah, <laughs> so a bunch of couple handsome dudes that I get to hang out with sometimes, you know? Um, but anyways, man, so these family rules, like we've got, you know, the Baudreau family rules. There's uh, 11 of them that we've got actually written and framed and up in our house. And those family rules are who we've decided we want to be as people, right? Each mm. one of us. And the beauty of that is it's just like the contract that we have at Acton. So at Acton, every studio has a contract that says this is our contract of character and behavior. And every student has the ability to call somebody else out if they are not abiding by the contract up until the point where they can actually fire another student, meaning that student no longer goes here because the other students decided that he or she's not living up to their part of it. That like, that's so how, awesome. Like that's how intentional we are about it, right? So we've got those same rules at home. We've got our contract essentially for our family. And that means, yes, I can hold my kids to those standards of behavior, but they can hold me to those standards of behavior as well. Mm. As, long as, they, as long as everybody's doing so respectfully, we all win, right? So we have, you know, having that set of family rules, having a weekly meeting to check in and go, hey man, how are we doing on this? Are we holding our end of the bargain? Um, does anybody need help from anybody else here? We run it very much like an organization would, and it's not in a in a cheesy way, and it's not in a impersonal way. You know, it's not mm -hmm. like we're sitting here going, "Okay, agenda item number one." No, yeah. it just comes. <laughs> it's just being intentional about it. We're gonna get together, have dinner every night as a family, and we're gonna chat about this stuff. Hey, man, how was everybody doing, dude? How was your day? Is there anything I can help you with? Um, is there anything on you know? Um, the, these, these rules here that daddy's failing at, that mommy's failing at, that anybody here, like, how can we help that get better? Right. It's just being intentional around those things. Um, so I think all of those things will, you know, be night and day difference from the majority of the world, the majority of the culture. If, if you're intentional about doing those things every day. That's so right? good, like, dude. So be good. Intentional about that. So when did you form these family rules with your kids? Like what age did you guys set this in stone? So we did this a couple of years ago and we kind of took it from, you know, again, from the Acton kind of contracts. It was probably three-ish years ago, I would guess so, which means my kids um, at the time were would have been seven, five, and two. Seven, five, and two. Seven, five, and two, you know? And so, and again, like, that's a big part too is, man, you can talk to your kids like adults, yes. you know? And I, 
you really you really can you really should and you and you can have those obviously they're not going to act like or behave like adults all the time but when you speak to them that way and mm-hmm. um, are calm like you would be with another adult and respectful like you would be another adult what you're going to find is you're going to get that in return and that's how they're going to uh, express themselves the majority of the time. My kids are very articulate. They're very eloquent. They're very, res- you know, respectful to other people because that's how we've spoken to them and that's how they interact. And so that's, that's what they know. Mm. Um, you know, and so implementing that was just another kind of another, um, you know, up in the ante a little bit mm-hmm. for us. Can you share with us any of those rules that you guys oh, have? Oh man. Yeah, dude, I'll share. I, I should put the entire 11 out there, but please um, go ahead. You know, I, I um, gosh, I wish I should look it up on, cause I want to make sure I don't miss any, but um, I'm not necessarily in order, but being honest, starting with yourself is, is one of them. So there's the double entendre of, of course, we're honest in the household. We're not going to lie to one another. I do not lie to my kids. That includes, you know, even the whole Santa Claus thing. Like we don't even go down that road, man. I just, mm. I don't lie to my, I don't lie to my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but most of all, don't lie to yourself, right? Be honest about your shortcomings, your, your successes, your failures. It's all that kind of stuff. So we talk about like all of these right with them. So, um, so being honest, being an emotional ninja. So that kind of goes into almost like a, a stoic philosophy of like, look, don't get yourself super riled up. There's no need to get all crazy and yell and mad. And there's no need to get down in the dumps. There's no need like figure out your emotional, like you're trying to reach this kind of emotional, um, uh, peace you know mm. really is what you're trying to be is at peace so where you, what do you separate you from your emotions is that what you're talking about like you're able to you know pull back separate a little bit? separate from it if you need to be objective about something right mm-hmm. but then uh, like emotion is not a bad thing but they're bad uh they're bad leaders they're good followers mm. right emotion we, most people lead with their emotions yep. emotions are not good leaders but they're yep. really good followers right we want them to be valued but you try to lead with logic, reason, understanding, try to lead with those and then allow your emotions to then, you know, drive the ship after that. Mm. Right. Um, and so it's kind of getting to that. And again, there's no perfect person. We don't always do it, but it's understanding like, look, this is something that we are, you know, that we are striving to, to get to, um, discipline equals freedom, right? Like Jocko Willink's whole thing, um, is, is a big part of it. Be the hardest worker in the room, be the nicest person in the room. Mm. Um, doing the right thing is always the right thing. Memento mori, which sounds kind of morbid, but it just literally means remember it's remember your mortality, right? Like mm-hmm. just understand like, look, this whole thing doesn't last forever, man. Um, you know, so, uh, you, you gotta you know, be intentional, uh, about the day. So, mm-hmm. um, gosh, that's six or seven of them right now. I'd have to look at that. Yeah, but I mean, I'll shoot the whole list over to you. Those are super good, man. I love all yeah, that. Great. What does discipline look like in your family? No, that's a great question, man. Uh, one of the things I always tell my kids, um, or not, I, I tell people about my kids. We had a uh, my friend Deirdre Fitzpatrick. Right, he's a local news news lady, and we do a lot of stuff on acting here. And so uh, she had um, one of her camera crew was here, and we were filming some things and about acting. And we got done, and he's like, "Okay," he's like, "But tell me, dude, th- tell me this. Like, it doesn't sound like you ever discipline your kids." What he says to me, like that was what he took away from it, right? He's kind of this old school dude. He's like, "Doesn't sound like you ever discipline your kids, man." So, so what does that look like in your household? Is disciplining your kids? And so, what I said to him, and so I've said it a bunch of times since then, is, I I don't have to discipline my kids because I teach my kids to be disciplined individuals. Mm. That's a different thing. We just define discipline differently, right? We don't define it as something that I have to discipline you, meaning like you're in trouble or somebody has to be disciplined like they're in trouble. No, 
We want to build somebody who is disciplined, who goes, okay, this is the right thing to do. And this is what needs to be done. So I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it whether I necessarily feel like it or not, whether my emotions are telling me to do something differently or not. If it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. And so I'm going to be disciplined around. I'm going to be intentional around that. I'm going to do that, you know, as often as I need to do this, whatever it is, I'm going to be disciplined around doing my chores, around working out, around, you know, being, uh, being kind to my brothers and sisters, you know, it's all of those Mm -hmm. things. So being disciplined around doing that every day creates disciplined individuals. Mm. So. So when your child misses the mark, which they inevitably do, what do your consequences look like? Yeah, it really, that's so we've actually implemented at home freedom levels uh, like we have on campus, right? So we have on campus, um, you know, you have the ultimate freedoms on campus. That means you go anywhere, you've got, you know, you're um, able to, you know, rent out, there's little mini offices, you're able to go in and, and rent out these offices, you're able to pick jobs on campus, um, you're able to do all of these things on campus with ultimate freedom, if your responsibilities have been met, meaning your character has been solid. Um, you know, other people would give you solid character as far as part of, uh, you know, who you are as far as part of the community, you're handling your own personal goals, your personal responsibilities, like you're handling those, you're showing yourself, you know, as a responsible, disciplined part of this community, right? Mm -hmm. As you start to slip on any of those, if character slips, if, um, you know, you hitting your own personal goals, those slip, Okay, we still have way more freedom than you do in a traditional school, but you've got a little less, right? Like maybe you can't go rent this office. Maybe you have to stay over here. Maybe you don't get to use your headphones while you're doing some of your work. Maybe you get each studio kind of defines their own um, their own freedoms and responsibilities, right? Mm-hmm. And and how those correlate. So we've done the same thing at home, right? It's like you've got the ultimate freedoms here as long as you're taken care of. What what do we need to do to get taken care of as a family? Okay, well in the morning. We've got to go feed the animals. We've got to, um, you know, we got to go muck out the stall. We got horses at home, right? so we got to go muck out the stalls. We've got to keep our rooms clean. We've got to treat, you know, our brothers and sisters well. We got to help each other out. We got all of these things. And if they miss the mark, it's like, cool, man. So, you know, how did we miss the mark? Here we go. Mm-hmm. What should we have done, anyways? How how do we fix that? Cool. And is this worthy of something where you drop down a freedom level so you get a little mm-hmm. bit less freedom? You get a little bit less freedom for a time being. Maybe you don't get to have sleepovers with your friends, or they, you know, they have various things that are important to them, yeah. levels wise, right? Um, that you know, maybe you drop down until you until you show that responsibility again over this next week, and then you can bump back up. And so it's like it's that. So it makes it very black and white. So it's yeah. not an emotional conversation. That's a really know? cool framework to put around it. I dig that. Yeah, it's cool, man. It really, you know, again, it takes the emotion out of it, right? It's like, look. You made the you made the choice, man. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm just honoring your choice. Your choice was that this was more important than doing what you needed to do. So, you know, you're accepting the consequence of dropping down a freedom level. So now you don't have access to, you know, you can't now you don't have friends over or now you don't have access to, you know, we don't do a whole lot of um, screen time at home mm-hmm. at all anyways. They get maybe in, you know, it's maybe an hour a day depending on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe you don't have access to, you know, whatever that looks like for for a week. Um, yeah. but you made that choice and we're honoring the choice. I love that. It's, it's intention. Yeah. Everything that, that is being Bingo. discussed here is all about intentionality and that, right. that, that's so powerful. How do you see yep. yourself navigating the phone, the smartphone world with your children as they grow up and reach that age? 
Yeah, that's a really good question, man. Because I, I, you know, uh, again, mine, mine are ten, eight, and five, right? And so it's something that I talk about with them a lot now because mm-hmm. I don't know what it looks like a few years from now, and I don't mean necessarily even that I don't know how we want to do that as parents. I mean more. Dude, I don't know what the capabilities are even going to be in a few years, yeah. right? Like we we don't we don't know how ridiculous these things are gonna are gonna continue to get. Mm-hmm. So what I'm intentional about doing right now is just going here. Okay, look, here's what here's what Daddy uses it for. Um, I try to express it as as this thing is a tool, and it's a great tool. It can be used for a lot of great things, but like any other tool, it can be a whole lot of bad can come out of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very open with him about that and go, look, so like when daddy's on it right now, um, if I use social media, I'm using it predominantly for business. Like I'm not using it to this. Not, for me, it's not something that I am maintaining a ton of relationships with or anything. You know, there's a little bit of that and some good stuff that goes back and forth, but it's predominantly for, um, you know, the things that I'm trying to do either in business or just in the, in the world and just trying to shift some paradigms or whatever. But that's it. And I'm also not going to get caught up in it. I'm also going to be intentional about my own time with it where there's certain times that I just put it away altogether because, you know, it's not necessary. So I'm trying to just frame it as this tool um, so that when it is time for them to, you know, because I don't know that there's a good time or not, you know, like, oh, it should be this age or Mm -hmm. whatever. I don't think that's it, man. I think it comes down to the responsibility of the young person and setting, again, freedoms and responsibilities, you know, putting those diametrically opposed to one another and then going, okay, now you show me the responsibility and then they get the freedom on it. So that's, that's really just kind of how we're doing it right now. And, um, we'll see, we'll see how it plays out. And my kids are, are super, they're busy enough too, where that's not seen as like, ah, oh, but I need this so bad. Like mm-hmm. they've got other things they're pushing forward on. So it's not as, big of a draw. I think that's a big part too, is they actually have a lot of cool things going on in life where that's not something that's going to take the place of their life, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think once that is a part of it, again, I think it's just the intentionality around it. Like how much time do we spend on it? What do we use it for? What do we not use it for? Yep. And you lose it if you break that. Yeah. You know? I think that's huge communicating to them what you are doing and using it as a tool. I've been doing that with my kids a lot too. Even, even when I'm doing something that's seemingly not, um, super important. Like if I'm messaging someone or replying to someone on Mm -hmm. social media, I always try and frame it in the context of, Oh, daddy's responding to this person because I'm trying to grow my podcast or I'm sending mommy a message right now. I'm not just, I don't want to communicate to them that this is an escape. And that exactly. I'm just mindlessly consuming content and just not doing anything productive. It's a way to be productive. For sure. And that you're only going to do with that. And then you're not just sitting there scrolling and, you know, I don't do a whole lot of like scrolling on social media and all that kind of stuff because then it sets the example of, well, that must be important too. Yes. And so then they're interested, right? But if I go, okay, cool, it's this time of night and I always put my phone away and then daddy's got a book out. Um, or we're having conversations and that's what they see more often and that creates interest around that. That mm-hmm. must be something, whether they're conscious of it or not, like that must be something that's important. You know, again, they're going to, they're going to do what you are doing. Um, and you are always leading by example. So being super intentional around that is, is so key, dude. And we, you know, we like to say, Oh, the kids and their smartphones and all that. Yeah. Dude, it's the adults. It's the adults. hundred percent. Yeah. There's it's even, the adults, there's, there's even studies coming, coming out about how 
infants, I don't know how they study this, but how infants and babies are less attached, I guess is the right word, to their mm-hmm. mothers because the mothers are, when they're holding them, a lot of the time they're they're on their phone when they're putting them sure. to sleep and when they're laying sure. on their chest and how that's causing small sure, psychological sure, trauma in these kids. And it's like, wow. And I was guilty of that yeah. when my kid was a newborn, you know, he'd lay sure, on my dude. chest for four hours. So I'm going to lay there and just be on my phone. It's like, dang, we, we don't know the damage that these things are causing. And just seeing what some of my students, man, are, are being exposed to like TikTok is just, I mean, there's some good stuff on TikTok, but by and large, the content on TikTok is horrific and for disgusting. Sure. And young females showing as much skin as they can down dancing. And it's all about me, 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 my looks, my body, my face, you know, and it's like, dude, the stuff that I see, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm locking my daughter in a cage forever. (laughs) (laughs) So scary, dude. It's so scary. And then the addiction that just comes with that, right? Like we've actually, um, you know, I've, had the the pleasure of working with a, um, a research firm for a number of years now and so um this research firm just they study generational trends right like it's all they do is this team of phds that studies generational trends and how these trends play out in various parts of the world or in various communities or in various um you know uh, uh cultures of it. i mean they just did that's all they're doing and so one of the things that they found is that this kind of Gen Z, you know, younger, younger generation, they actually have this physical attachment to their phones. They've never not had internet. They've mm-hmm. never not had, you know, these kind of things, but there's actually like a physical, um, psychosomatic sort of thing that takes place, man. And if they go, I think it was like three hours away from their phone. It was like 78% actually experienced like physical or mental discomfort, like where it was actually causing anxiety. If they didn't have their phone near them for three hours, like it was, they were, they really felt like, um, you know, something was totally off and they could not fully function. Like the thought of that and the reality of how much that is permeating our culture. Like if you're listening to this dude and you've got a teenager, give it a shot to see what happens. You take away a phone for a whole week or even suggest it Mm -hmm. and see how much they lose their stuff. And by the way, do it for adults too. And there's, I would venture to say there's a great number of adults that would feel the same way. hundred percent. Right. Like that's just the reality. So these things are, are wildly addictive. I think in more ways than, than we know. Um, and, and I think it's worthwhile testing to see can you can you put your phone away for a day or two and see what happens? Can you be like can you do it and see what happens, man? If you can't, uh, there's there's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what it's doing is taking us out of the present moment, and that right. our ability not to be present is what's yep. wrong with society. Like Blaise Pascal totally. said, that the greatest flaw for a human is that they can't sit in a room by themselves for thirty minutes. They can't be yep. present with themselves. They can't feel their emotions. And now we have this device that's a little dopamine lever like totally. bf skinner's pigeon experiences experience yep. where we're just hitting that lever hitting that lever hitting that lever Dude. and it's small in our release of dopamine every time and it's it's so bad it's so Think bad about this man so you got these young people who are now going to school every day school in its traditional sense teaches you that to outsource all of your thoughts like you just you're checking the box of whoever the authority is that says here play this game I'm gonna dangle this carrot your job for 12 years is just to go get this carrot I'll let you know what you can do when you can do it but you just need to go get this carrot you raise your hand you ask my permission to go to the bathroom I don't care if you're 18 and I might say no right like mm-hmm. you just so you're outsourcing your thought and your sovereignty you're doing that for years and years and years and then 
you're now saddled with this device that allows you to outsource outsource your emotion, right? You can outsource your sense of self worth, your happiness, your mm-hmm. sadness, your your humanity. You outsource that part to this device. So now we've outsourced our thought, we've outsourced our emotion. What's left, dude? It's scary. What's left? It's and we scary. wonder why you know, like we have so many young people who feel like they have no purpose, no sense of meaning in their life, who they're depressed or they're anxious or they can't hold down a job or they can't understand um, how to do a good job when they do have a job, right? We have all mm-hmm. of these cultural issues and this is only, you know, these are only parts of the problem, but we have all of these things going on um, and and we wonder, you know, how do we fix this? Well, I mean, yeah. we're, we're, it's it's scary, man. It is. And, and the answer to that, though, the answer to how do we fix this, with all of our chronic disease and mental health issues is pretty obvious to people like you and me. It's like, take yep. it away, eat clean, yep. get yep. quiet, don't yep. overstimulate, you know, yep. have meaningful relationships, be honest, be vulnerable, pursue what you're passionate about, don't be selfish, you know, pour into it's, others, serve other totally. people, be humble, sleep well. <laughs> I mean, it's actually very, very simple. Yeah. I mean, that that really is. It's very, very simple. Um, it's just not easy in the culture, exactly. right? There's a difference. It's very simple. Yep. That, I talk but, to my students a lot about the short-term game versus, versus the long-term game, and that this is just mm-hmm. something that I hammer in every single day. I'm like, the short-term game's for losers. Like, if you want to yep. be a loser, play the short-term game. Like, be on your phone all day. Don't study for that test. You know, totally. drink, eat that donut or stop by Starbucks and get your, you know, milkshake coffee in That's every right. morning. But I, I just constantly drive that into their head. Oh, Tristan, you're playing the short-term game, dude. Let's go. Long-term game. Let's go. Right. You know, the discipline is just so hard to come by nowadays with these with these teenagers, though, I feel like, especially in my classroom, man, I'm just like, uh, it, it scares it me. It is, dude. It's hard, and it's it's. I feel like it's harder for people in general. I think it's our entire culture has bought into this short-term game, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have most people live in. What I found is that most people end up uh, – most people live in fear, right? And they yep. want something to be afraid of. And so most people are really afraid of a whole lot of things. And then something else comes out and they just get more and more afraid. And so they live their life out of fear. That's a big mm-hmm. part of it. And so it's easier for the short-term game because short-term means short-term comfort versus yep. the fear and ambiguity of something that's more long-term, right? And so it's, you know, I think we've just, we've been duped into that as a society and most adults are living in fear, which no surprise now you're raising children who are living in, fear and playing mm-hmm. the short-term game you know it's this mm-hmm. downward cycle um so i try to pour into our you know especially on campus i try to pour into our parents you know as much as i can too because that ultimately trickles down into the mindset of our of our heroes yeah yeah i think that's wise man speaking you know? of fear one thing yeah. that i love about you dude is that you put your money where your mouth is you don't just have ideas you actually execute on your ideas and make things mm-hmm. happen from what i can tell which i really mm-hmm. respect and admire about you um you. and it's just been super inspiring for me as i've seen that as i've gotten to know you man so i'm curious what your personal inner dialogue looks like like how you manage fear and how you overcome negative self-talk mm. yeah that's a really good question man it's um and i appreciate the i appreciate the kind words hypocrisy yeah, to me is 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 a death sentence like i just i'm you know i'm I don't live in fear at all, but the the only fears that I have would be, you know, to to die with regret and say that I didn't give something, you know, a shot that I always thought I wanted to do, and and mm. to have anybody say that I was hypocritical. You know, I, I just don't, 
I, I can't, I can't do it. If I'm saying something, I want what I say to be what I'm saying and what I mean and what I'm actively trying to do, not just my ideas. And, and I mm-hmm. think it's, um, you know, I kind of live in between, um, sort of these two concepts. So I'm super grateful for, for the dad that I have because he's not a good dude. Um, and so I kind of have this, I, I got to have this example of really kind of this anti, almost this anti-hero, right? Like he, he was a brilliant guy, very, very smart. I remember him talking about so many things that end up being, um, you know, businesses later on and so many concepts and he could see, you know, he, he could understand where humanity was going. And he's like, Oh, somebody's going to do this. Somebody's going to do that. Somebody's going to do this. He was spot on dude all the time. Mm. Um, but he never, he never did anything, (laughs) you know, like he, he, uh, understood, you know, the, the importance of family, but then he wrecked his own and, and, you know, he kind of lived this hypocritical lifestyle and he just wasn't a good human being. So I got to see, okay, cool, man. I, I don't want to do that because he looks like a fool where he's saying one thing and doing another. He's also treating people horribly. Um, that's a great example of who I don't want to be as a husband. It's who I don't want to be as a father. It's who I don't right. So I have, I have that. So I kind of have that to look back on. And then as well as I've got, um, you know, people that, that I've always looked to, to try to emulate one part of them or another. Oh, and that's one of actually one of our family rules is be a copycat. Hmm. Right. So what I mean by that is you, you can never, you know, I'm very clear about this with my, with my kids too. You should never want to be, try to be somebody else, somebody you're not, that's not it. But I think you have a God given, um, kind of DNA visceral response to certain other people, whether those people are, um, you know, people that you can end up considering mentors in your life, whether those people are somebody you read about in the book, whether that is somebody you saw on TV, it could be a fictional character, uh, in a movie, right? Like you've got a visceral response Mm. and it's your duty at that point to go, okay, what is it about that person that I really, really admire? Because it's usually highlighting something within yourself that's yes. already there and you just want to take it to another level. Mm. Right. And so what I mean by that is figure out, try to hone in. What is that specific value or that specific, um, you know, ability that this person has? Why does that res- uh, like resonate with me so much? And how do I expand upon that? Yes. So my inner dialogue is, you know, it oscillates between, okay, this is the person you know you don't want to be. So you're gonna so make sure you're you're not doing this. But I've got kind of this board of directors in my head, right? And it's a concept that I it really started to uh, be laid out for me. And when I read it, in the I'd already always done it, but Napoleon uh, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich mm-hmm. really solidified it for me. I'm not money driven at all, but the 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 concept of board of directors where you're going to these you know characters in your mind and going how would you handle this situation um resonated with me that stuck with me mm, that's so super i go good. to that all the time so i got my board of directors man and i just go okay how would they handle this what would their response be what would that look like and so i oscillate between the two um and that's really what allows me to honestly just stay at peace inside my head i'm a pretty it's pretty freaking peaceful up there which is cool that's awesome man and that's the goal like you said earlier that's the goal that we all want like we don't want joy we don't want happiness we want peace and then peace will create will allow us to be joyful joyful. yeah exactly totally totally Totally. that's awesome man i love that and and 
it really resonated with me when you were talking about the value of being a copycat. I think there's some mm-hmm. some shame uh, behind that idea, but I think flipping it on its head and saying, wow, like when I look at my life, I've really gravitated towards different people for different reasons that are hard to articulate and I've learned from them and I've ruthlessly absorbed their content over and over again. I can think about a lot of different people, but ultimately what it's done is formed me into this man who's talking to Matt Baudreau right right now, who has interests in health and education and fitness and mindset and, you know, all these different things. It's like, yeah, I'm just basically stealing little bits and pieces from all these people who I respect and look up to and forming it into my own And putting it together in your own thing. That's it, man. It just makes you a better person. And I try to use the analogy of sports for people, you know, and and go when I was a – you know, when I was a kid, um, you know, and I played basketball and Michael Jordan was the man, you know, and, yeah. and so everybody wanted to be like, you know, there was a whole commercial man like Mike, if I could be like Mike, right? And everybody wanted to be like Mike. But what you end up seeing was all these young people and and you see this in sports, like they try to mimic their game after Michael Jordan, right? Like they try to you go out and you practice doing Michael's moves. You go out and you and you practice um, you know, the way, the way he moves on the baseline, you practice the way he shoots, you practice the way he's able to kind of use that offhand and push off and kind of cross back over or mm-hmm. Timmy Hart, Timmy, I was a point guard and Timmy Hardaway was this little short point guard and, you mm-hmm. know, for the Golden State Warriors. And so I practiced the killer crossover like yep. Timmy and I practiced it, right? So you're mimicking just small pieces of these individuals and ultimately what it did was it made me a better basketball player. Yeah. Right. I took, I took Timmy's, I would try to get Timmy's crossover. I would try to get um, you know, Michael's, Michael's movement on the baseline. I would, I would look at magic Johnson and go, okay, well that's how I wanted my court vision to be. And I practiced it like, and so it molded me into a decent basketball player. Um, I wasn't obviously anywhere near the level of those guys, but that's not the point. I was mm-hmm. the best I could be by implementing pieces of their game that resonated with me. That's what we're talking about. I want to be the best version of me. And sometimes that means, okay, William Wallace, man, I'm like, I don't, have any desire to wear a kilt and paint my face and grow long hair and go swing a sword. But there is something about that guy, especially in the Braveheart version, right? Where he is just willing to sacrifice his life for a mission and a purpose greater than himself. Like that's huge. I want to emulate that. I want that to be a part of who I am. So I'm going to do that to the best of my ability in the way that I define it with the mission that I'm right. And you doing that, um, you know, with a number of different people and, and that helps you just continue to be a better human being. Yes. Great analogies there. Love that. You've spent a significant portion of your life speaking on stage in front of a lot of people, man. What tips or tricks or pieces of advice do you have for people who, A, fear public speaking and B, mm-hmm. who want to get better at public speaking? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I did get, you know, I was very lucky to and blessed to be able to do that so often. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and, and get paid and eventually get paid really well for that too. I mean, that was really, you know, that's really been what sustained my family for, for a long time and allowed me the, the opportunity to build these schools too. So I'm very grateful for it. The, um, you know, as a couple things in general, one, the, the fear aspect is, is the most common thing. And it's not that you're, you know, when we get down to the root of it. You don't fear speaking. Mm-hmm. Nobody fears speaking. You speak to your friends all the time. You'll, you'll be in quote unquote public with a group of your friends and you have a relationship with them and they ask you a question and you 
tell them the answer and, and you will tell them stories and you have a great time and you laugh together. And you're like, so people don't fear public speaking. They fear being judged by other people. Mm. Right. And so that's the reality is what you got to get around is your worry about what other people think of you. That's the first and like, like mm-hmm. it's that. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you know, you, you need to get around that even if you're not a public speaker because <laughs> yep. that's because that dictates how most people act all the time anyways. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Like people will do so many things because they want other people to look at them as one of the tribe and one of the crowd. And, and I get that. And that's a human nature thing. But if that's not your tribe or your crowd or, you know, you're, there's something else you're sacrificing for, dude, it's not worth it. So it's getting around that fear and understanding and identifying that that's what the actual fear is. It's mm. that first. Mm. Right. And so then it gets into the actual practice of being an effective communicator. Um, those are, those are vastly different things in the business around it and all of that kind of stuff. But as far as like getting good at it, the fear, if you get around that fear part, dude, not you're 90% of the way there. Mm. You really are. Yeah. Then, then it comes down to, well, do you have something worth saying? And then can you say it in a way that brings people on an emotional ride, whether they're laughing, they're crying, or you're oscillating between the two, right? Mm-hmm. And um, is there something that you can point out that's either being said in a way, because most things, you know, newsflash, most things aren't being, they're not brand new. You're not saying anything that's brand new. Yep. But yep. you might say something in a way that other people haven't heard before that gets them to understand something that they already, you know, a lot of the talks that I do, people walk away and go, Oh my gosh, like I actually knew all that, but I never realized I knew it until you said it that way. Mm. And now it's something I've got to work on. Right. It's, it's, so it's the art of, of doing that and getting people to awaken to stuff they already know. Like that's where it gets fun and get into the nuance of it and be able to take people on this emotional journey and all of that stuff. But you know, 90% of it is getting around the worry of what other people think, man. It really is. Yep. Yep. Love that. And then practicing, obviously the more you do it, the better you get. Do you write your speeches out? Uh, I did. Yeah. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what I did for a long time. And if I'm going into something that's brand, so like, um, you know, I got, I got another TEDx coming up. Right. And so that's something that's really a brand new, I get to kind of create brand new material, almost like a, you know, I look at it like a, um, like a stand up comic would or something. Mm -hmm. I'm going to create a brand new set, a brand new bit. Um, I will, I'll initially write that whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just kind of go, I'll just kind of, whatever's coming to my brain, I'll just kind of type it out and just kind of see what I've got right there and start looking at concepts and start looking at going, okay, I, you know, are there any stories I should add? It, most of the time there's actually stuff I should take away because um, mm-hmm. you want to make it tighter. Um, but I will, I'll usually start with that or I'll, um, and, and actually I should say even before that, I'll just a few different stories or concepts that I think I want to hit. I'll just put it on a post-it note, slap them all against the wall and mm. then do the kind of the write out from, from looking at that and then start moving pieces around and try to create a flow of it. So yeah, it's, I, I'll do that now. Um, if it's stuff that I've spoken on a hundred times, yeah. I'll just go, I'll just go at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Do you structure it? I know some people will structure it in sections. Like a lot of people are, are big fans of, uh, breaking it up into quarters so like okay quarter one is this point to that point and quarter two is this point to that point do you have anything like that that you use yeah if it's newer if it's newer kind of stuff i'll do that or i'll just make i'll make it like a room um and you know i'll kind of have my house laid out and be like okay you know when i walk into my house first thing you see is kind of the the living room Mm -hmm. and so in the living room i'm kind of talking about this and then as i move over to the kitchen i'm talking about this 
And then when I go to my daughter's room, it's that. And then when I go to my son's room, it's this. And then when I get to the master bedroom, that's where it all gets, you know, that's where it all gets wrapped up and I'll kind of have a different theme or concept Mm -hmm. or, or story transition for each one just to kind of help myself structurally speaking. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm thinking about the emotions of, of the people too, at this point is, you know, again, I want, everybody's heard so many talks at this point, which is great. Honestly, it's because it's helped perpetuate, you know, a collective thought in our country and everybody's seen Ted talks and everybody's so, but how am I going to take people on that emotional journey? How am I going to make them uncomfortable and then make them laugh and then get them a little sad and you get them a little scared, but then give them a solution to it and then leave them inspired and excited and smiling. And, you know, I'm, I'm worried about those transitions. And so then I want stories that evoke those emotions. And then, you know, when I funnel that down, those stories have to have, you know, the components of, of what it is that I wanted to say. So it's, it's an emotional, it's an emotional ride. Yeah. Right on. Well, we are out of time, dude, which I'm bummed about because we could talk for forever, no doubt, I feel man. like. Yeah. But um, I just got two more questions for you. Sure. The first one being, if you could recommend a couple books from any genre for me and the listeners to check out, what would they be and why? Mm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll go with two, man. Um, so Atomic Habits is one that's been around for a little bit mm-hmm. now, but um, it was actually, it's still to this day one of the most impactful for me as far as uh, especially when you got a lot going on as far as creating habits around who you are, including like family time, like dialing that into a schedule, including escape time, putting that in a schedule so that you don't over, you know, uh, end up overacting on something like video games, something like that. I think for young and old man, getting into that, mm-hmm. understanding that success is a habit is a big deal. So Atomic Habits by James Clear um, mm-hmm. is huge. One that I just recently read that kind of reinforced sort of that hero anti-hero thing we were talking about earlier too is called the alter ego effect mm-hmm. uh, and it actually todd herman i believe and it actually um talks about creating your your alter personas and then being able to oscillate back and forth you know which which mm-hmm. a lot of us kind of do anyways but being super intentional about that right like when i'm at acton i am the acton academy version of matt and when i'm on stage I'm a stage version of Matt. Depending on who I'm talking to, I've got a couple different stage versions of Matt too. So one's the, you know, mm-hmm. you got a comedian, you got one that's more of a hammer, you got one that's more inspirational, you got kind of all of the above. And then when I go home, I'm dad Matt and husband mm-hmm. Matt. And those are different too, right? So it mm-hmm. talks about oscillating between all of those. Um, so super solid, both of those. That sounds super interesting. And I will underscore the uh, Atomic Habits as well. Fantastic nice. book. Um, yeah. What does a life enchanted mean to you? Yeah, man. I, again, I think it's kind of, I think we already kind of touched mm-hmm. on it. Honestly, it's that, it's that peace of mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that peace of mind that ultimately is just, that's what leads to, to happiness and, you know, a, a, your, your own version of success. And again, that's your own version of success is your own version of happiness. That's it. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with finances or specific types of relationships or whatever. It's, it's that ultimately it's that peace of mind. So for me, man, that's, that's it. It's nice and quiet up there, um, which is great because then you can be present and you can, you know, literally be joyful every moment of the day. So that's right, man. I love that. Right on Matt. This has been wonderful. I appreciate you, dude. A lot of fun, man. Always great talking with you, man. I appreciate you, Brock. Thank you. And I'll put all the links to your socials, to Acton's website and all that good stuff in the, in the show notes. So listeners definitely check that out. Um, but until next time. All right, guys. Later. 
special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the music heard throughout this episode. Also, a big shout out to Capital Floats, aka my favorite sensory deprivation and float tank facility in Northern California. I'm a frequent user there, and the experience is always transformative to say the least. If you're interested in floating and live in Northern Cal, make sure you use promo code LIFEENCHANTED with no spaces at checkout on their website. You'll save a whopping 40% off your first float and you will not find that deal anywhere else. Also, in regards to some of the content shared in these episodes, make sure you always consult your doctor before making any sudden diet or lifestyle changes. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can find me on Instagram at nick.carlisle or send me an email nick at mylifeenchanted.com.